Welcome, everyone. This is Remembering Us, the storytelling of everyday people who are dedicated to racial justice and healing. Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa. Hey, I'm Ellery. So before we jump into this next episode, we wanted to take a couple of moments to share with you all why we're here, why we are creating this, this format of this podcast. So I'll speak a little bit first um, about why, why we're here, which is that stories bring people together, first and foremost. And, and especially I'm thinking about how this, there's a moment where the storyteller and the listener begin to merge in this moment of shared storytelling. And then more specifically, there's this uh, art of storytelling where we begin to see our, ourselves in each other, how we are actually woven into one another's histories. Because it's our personal histories that really, truly make up the story of this country. This is what I think makes storytelling super transformational. It's been my experience that in learning and telling the truth of my family, of my ancestors, it has helped to begin to demystify what truly happened, uh, what led us to where we are now. Um, yeah, we believe that also in piecing together and sharing our personal, our familial histories, that collectively we begin to remember these parts of us that, and our past that have maybe been obscured or left out or lost or even forgotten. And so as the past is collected and acknowledged, we are then more equipped to tend to the living wounds and begin to heal, begin to atone and transmute the systems and beliefs that really harm us all. So it's in this process of remembering that we journey our way back to wholeness. We begin to rebuild from a place of interconnectedness and live into a new way of being. Hmm. Yes. And we believe in not only healing, but also activism. And we believe that healing and activism are inseparable, both as crucial pieces to the spark. And without activism and change, the systems and institutions around us continue to create and multiply harm every single day. And without healing, we continue to create and multiply harm in ourselves and those around us and the generations that follow. And we invite anyone listening, just give yourself some time to sink deeper into it. If you have time to journal or a conversation with someone in your life um, because that's that's how we solidify our views that's how we grow adapt and change and so if you feel those moments of, or some resistance to something that was said that's that's a good sign that's a good sign um taking a moment to pause to feel under that resistance to what's underneath and one of our guests may bring up an organization or a group, and we invite you to check them out, reach out to them, see what they're doing, get involved. 
And if you feel so inclined, please feel free to reach out to us. We would love to talk, to network, to, yeah, dialogue on these things. Our email is rememberinguspodcast at gmail.com. And we would love to talk and listen. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So with that, <clears throat> diving into today's episode. So we will hear from Lisa here, who is a public school teacher in San Francisco, California, and has been unearthing stories of her ancestral legacy from the South with the support of a nonprofit organization, beautiful organization, Jubilee Justice, which grounds itself in the four pillars of land, race, money, and spirit. And so before diving into our storytelling, we would like to take a moment to ground, just a moment. So feeling into your seat, to where you are, wherever you are, and softening the eyes, that feels comfortable, relaxing the gaze or closing the eyes. Feeling into the moment, the breath. And bringing in a person or ancestor that reminds you that you are loved. and bringing in an attention, intention and what brings you to this work, why we're here. And taking one more breath and coming back to space. So if you can take us back, take us way back, where you are now, everything you gathered, stories from relatives to research, how would you describe your origin story, your family's origin story? Well, yeah, it's interesting, you know, like where we collect stories because most of you know, my origin story for my whole life, so my 39 years, was on my dad's side of the family was kind of ambiguous. Meaning, oh, we've been here for a long time and we're from Britain or Ireland or kind of no big deal. And... And so that for my whole life, that was, you know, the origin story on my dad's side of the family. And on my mom's side of the family, the origin story started with her grandpa who came to uh, New York from Germany, was Ashkenazi Jew. And my dad's side was always a little bit ambiguous. And... Because of the way that he talked or didn't talk about it, I didn't, I kind of absorbed that disinterest as well. 
And it wasn't until maybe five years ago now that I had been doing this, like we mentioned before, you know, we met in Beyond Separation, which was a space, a, a learning space for white identified folks and um, understanding the process of becoming white and privilege and where we are in society now. And so I had been in those spaces, but there had been learning spaces about whiteness now whiteness in present day um the way it shows up the way that it harms everyone including us and still there wasn't much talk about the past and and I never really looked for it either because it just, again, like it wasn't in my ethers of, of who was, what people were talking about that I was, or maybe people were talking about it, but it didn't strike a chord, perhaps. So five years ago, there was a night where I had really terrible nightmares. It was a succession of ooh, horrific events and one of which was I was on a plantation. I was on a plantation witnessing um, a moment of extreme violence and and I remember waking up the next morning and there had been other things that happened in, in that night and I talked about the other things that happened. I shared what the other events that happened in those nightmares but I I didn't share about the plantation because it was something that felt so um, far away from anything that I knew how to talk about. I think, Ellery, I think like two years later after having that dream that truly I didn't talk about. I don't, you know, I wrote about it. And because I keep a journal, but I didn't talk about it. And, and yet it was with me. It was something that was so visceral that I can still see it. I can still feel it. I am there in, in when I talk about it. And so it was with me in those two years. And then it was almost like I, I became kind of reattuned to how I was listening when people spoke. And something would light up when I would hear about slavery or um, genocide, the stories of, of Native American dispossession of land. And something opened up. And so I remember it was one summer. It was um, maybe the first summer of the pandemic. And... I went to my parents' house and I asked my dad basically what you're asking me now. What is the origin story? Where do our ancestors come from? What, what are the story? And I really had to state my case of why I wanted to know why it was important to me and where I was in, in my journey of understanding the legacy of the skin that I'm in and why it was important for me to know about my personal legacy mm -hmm. of the skin that I'm in. And he said, 
You're not going to like what you find out. And it's like, you know, those moments, like people talk about when they fall in love, like everything freezes and then they're, you know, one pointed focus. That's how it was because some, it was so um, true. You know, something really big was about to happen in that moment. And, and it was almost like a freeze frame. And so that was the beginning. So he, from there, I got what I can understand now via my aunt, a, the 1850 census that said that one of our ancestors, William C.C. Claiborne, was the first governor of Louisiana after the Louisiana Purchase. And he had nine enslaved people. Five men, four women. And this was the beginning of 18, the 1800s. Um, that origin story set me off on a sabbatical to research him. And, and then the story goes, you know, further back in time, as of course, and, um, you know, leads me up to where I am now. But that's, so that's the, the middle of the, of the origin story. And it starts with William C.C. C. Claiborne. Hmm. And, and where you've been spending a lot of time this past year. Right. Yeah, I was really fortunate to get a sabbatical. And I went to Louisiana and spent a year doing something that I had no idea how to do. <laughs> no idea. How do you read? <laughs> Yeah, so um, it was, but, but I had a whole year, you know, I had a whole year. So I got, I met some incredible people who helped guide me and um, found myself in Mississippi, in the archives of Mississippi, in the archives of Alabama and Virginia, and it was not nearly enough time. But another hmm. story begins. Yeah, absolutely. And can you talk a little bit more about what that process was like? Not just the technicalities and how to even begin such a project, but what the experience was like for you. Yeah. So. After I decided to take the sabbatical, I knew I was going to New Orleans and had no idea how to do any kind of research. I'm not, you know, I, I wasn't ever interested in history. So um, I found a group called Jubilee Justice that is started by a woman in Oakland, Conda Mason, black woman in Oakland that I had known about because of her work at East Bay Meditation Center, Spirit Rock, Oakland Hub. And so Jubilee Justice, what I read about it briefly was it was bringing together descendants of enslaved people and descendants of enslavers and uh, having conversations around race, around money, around land um, through the stories of our ancestors, including the stories of our ancestors. And so... And there was an, there's another piece of Jubilee Justice that is working with the land and black farmers. So I was really interested in the storytelling. 
part. And it just so happens, you know, I was going to wait until I was in New Orleans to contact Jubilee Justice once I was there and um, see about what I thought was going to be a really intense weekend. <laughs> you know, one of those weekends of like, we're going to do these hard conversations. And, um, and I was talking to a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, who is Conda Mason's partner. And so I'm talking to my friend, Adrian, and she told me that she had mentioned to Conda what I was about to be doing in New Orleans. And Conda said, you know, do you think Lisa would want to join in Jubilee Justice? And so contacted um, Conda. It turns out that the start date of Jubilee Justice, it was um, the next week. And it wasn't just a weekend. It was two years of the descendants of enslaved people and descendants of enslavers working together, um, working individually on their genealogical um, research, all through the lens of healing, repair, when it comes to land, race, and money. So there was, a, there was that structure of community that was valuable knowing that there was other people who were doing this it wasn't just me. It wasn't this, you know, out of the blue. Um, it was other folks who were doing it. And we were all in the process together. We were coming together, sharing our stories, having these conversations around um, race, around the land, around repair. And so, um, yeah, so that added the, you know, the, the expansion, the 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 depth and like the texture of this isn't just me. This really is, you know, my story is one piece of the tapestry of the story of this country, what we now call the United States. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a really supportive structure to be able to know how to navigate where to navigate and like you said the community so much of any piece of this unlearning or digging is about having community to unlearn and to dig through it with and sort through and conversate around absolutely and thinking back in the past year particularly through this digging what were some of the highs and the lows and the significant points that you remember experiencing well one that stands out right now happened uh soon after i got to new orleans i met a man mr leon waters and he does tours in new orleans he does tours of the 1811 uprising and african-american history in the French Quarter. So someone had recommended that I reach out to him because of the work that I was doing on William C.C. Claiborne. William C.C. Claiborne was the governor during the 1811 uprising, which was the biggest uprising in terms of numbers of enslaved people. Um, and Mr. Leon Waters has done tons of work in Daylighting this history, writing um, a couple books, speaking about the history of, of the 1811 uprising. So I met him in the French Quarter. We went on this tour and 
Ellery, I just remember, you know, being so nervous because Mr. Leon Waters is uh, an activist or descendant of these activists from the 1811 uprising. So he's an, a descendant of this legacy of enslaved people fighting for freedom. And I'm a descendant of a white enslaver who is trying to oppress and keep in captive enslaved people. So I was really nervous. Yeah. And I felt, um, you know, in, in knowing this history that I was carrying, in this history that he was sharing, I just felt so honored. And I didn't know what to do with my part. So again, okay, so we're on the tour and it's just the two of us and, um, and we are in the, one of the chapels and he says, you know, right next door is where the sitting governor was at the time. And part of the 1811 uprising, part of their goal, one of their missions, they had been planning this uprising for a year prior. And one of their, their goals was to capture the sitting governor, which was William C.C. C. Claiborne. And I gulped. And I said, that's the ancestor that I'm here to research. And it was again, Ellery, like that moment in the kitchen with my dad. You know, time stopped. It froze. I can see him. You know, the walls of the church melted away. And it was like history, you know, our two histories coming together and merging in this particular moment. And everything was different. The, the salience of the, the history that we were talking from that moment on was a little bit... Um, more alive. And so the story became, um, well, personal. And it is personal, you know, for all of us. And, and yet that's when I felt it, you know, like that was, that was a moment for me that it became personal. And so he was another person throughout the whole year who gave me just so much support and guidance um, in terms of where to go. And he told me some really good things from that one day that truly carried me through, which was, um, this is going to, he said, Miss Dean, this is going to be like detective work. You're going to get some information here. And then you're going to have to try to read between the lines because not all the information is going to be there. So you're going to have to go somewhere else. You're going to have to get that work, that information. And then you start to piece it together and that was absolutely the case and so there was moments when I felt depleted there was moments when um the information that I was finding in the archives wasn't mirroring the truth that I knew and was trying to find and and so those words of like this is going to be detective work uh, really kept me going in those moments when um, I felt like it, I didn't know where to go or maybe I should just stop. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a powerful moment that history became present. Yeah. And 
that courage that it takes to speak up. It's very real too. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting because all of a sudden this history wasn't seemingly outside of me. And seemingly, you know, like it, it, it's in everything. And I feel that more now in this process. But the courage came from really wanting to understand how we and, and me included got here. Yeah, turning over the stones. And like you said, piecing together things that weren't matching up stories that are written down and captured and and passed on with a different flavor of reality the history books right than what we know to be so much more complex oh my gosh yeah it was moments like discombobulating where i'm in these big you know um elitist archives you know the archives and and these old buildings with these big pillars and all the bookshelves and and reading all this information written about him because of who he was a politician and not mentioning the institution the the bedrock in which everything orbited and grew which was slavery there was mention of black people only when there was fear of uprising there would be you know in the in the correspondence of letters that i would see between claiborne and thomas jefferson who was the president at that time the only mere mention of black people um was in response to fear of uprising. Wow. And there was literally times where, you know, like I had to get, shake myself into, you know, like this isn't it. This is the one dimensional framing of a story that has, <laughs> for me, completely left me like I'm teetering off of a portion of the truth. And that's how everything, all of me, was built off of, not to mention this country. That's a really impactful thing that you mentioned about the only mention of Black people was fear of retribution, fear of resistance. Right. It's like this legacy, yeah, of exploitation of need. You know, the the, the white bodied people needing, um, seemingly needing, you know, wanting to exploit the labor of black people. So heavily depending on the bodies of black people and deeply, deeply sharing them as well. Mm-hmm. And so that legacy is deep. And it's not something for me to take lightly. There's the physical harm 
And then there's the psychological harm. I think about the psychological harm that's been caused in me as a white person, the harm of this system based on this false sense of superiority and all the tendrils that reach out from that that myth, that made-up myth for the personal gain. Has he felt into that legacy within you? Did you notice or start to notice even more sense of that fear in things around you in the current political system and the spaces you were in and anything? Yeah, I'm going to keep it really personal. It started to demystify the the moments when I would be walking on the street and I would feel myself tense up. Um, my my alarm system wake up when I saw black men, and and I was like, oh, this is the legacy. This is what has been passed down to me. This is what I inherited in this psychological psychosis of like not being and seeing reality for what it is. So that's why, like, you know, when I think about the depth and, and the power, because we're talking, you know, my, the first ancestors were 1621. And so this is, you know, the, the depth, it goes back far in time, but then it reaches far like, into the future. So thinking about the... Um, being an ancestor myself and, and those who will come after, what can I continue to unravel, to transmute, to transform so that I'm not continuing to pass down the same inheritance of tension, of fear, of other? And part of it for me is understanding, is being able to look at it for what it is. And for me, that was going back in to the roots, going back to the origin. And the personalization of it, it sounds like it was so much different than reading about, oh, this is what it was like at that time period. Right. Yeah. It's alive, it's alive within that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, that vulnerability. Yeah. I think there's plenty of us that relate or understand exactly what you mean. And where you're at now in finding all these places and uncovered stones in the past and the atonement for this lifetime, your piece of the ancestral line. Where do you feel yourself going? Diving deeper, hitting trunks. So I've never felt so aligned with my purpose in 
daylighting this truth because all the while, Ellery, it felt like, you know, in piecing together the stories, I'm also piecing together myself. So I've never felt more whole. Um, yeah, so I know for certain that this journey is going to continue this daylighting because oh, there is more than just William C.C. C. Claiborne on that side of the family. Mm -hmm. um, and in learning about each person, it's putting me in time. It's putting me in context of, you know, the genocide of the Creek Native people in the late 1700s when one of the ancestors was fighting in the militia to uh, take land. And, and so it's, it's giving me context of the foundation in which we're still standing on in this country. So all that to say is that there's a lot more to to learn. There's a lot more to uncover. There's a lot more to daylight, really. And, and then, you know, so as I'm doing this research, I am also looking at documents. So what I'm thinking about now, which um, was through another group that I'm in coming to the table, there was an ask from African-American ancestry that white folks who are doing uh, genealogical research share the um, documents that they're finding. In particular, names of Black enslaved people um, ate any information that we, that we find because of our privilege of having more access, beginning to digitize, to share it with African-American ancestry, with Linked Descendants, which is another organization. Um, and then also, you know, as a teacher, how to hold with grace and firmness the importance of history. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not the history that we learned in history class. Most of it. Right. And it does us all a disservice. It leaves, you know, for me, it left me really mystified and confused. Yeah. I remember being bored and glazed over. And what does this date mean? And who is this person? And it doesn't connect at all to me. Right. Right. The way that it's taught is that this is something that's separate. What I was taught history, it was dates, it was names, it was in the past and over, done. When what I've been experiencing is like, wow, history is really a collection of stories. Stories. And these stories are the bedrock of who... I am who we are now. And so it isn't this isolated thing in the past. It's constantly evolving because stories are constantly evolving. When you get different perspectives, when you hear different voices, the story starts to have more depth. It starts to have more texture. It starts to um, include more people. And then you begin to see the really the aliveness 
in history. And of course, how it is you know, absolutely in where we are and what we are now. Still walking with us, then history is alive. Yeah. And if you had to give some advice after going through this this whole process with this particular ancestor, what advice would you give somebody looking to go on this journey who may or may not have the sabbatical or time in that continuance, but can set aside time to go on this path? What would you advise? Advice would you give? I would say to start asking for stories, having conversations with people in your family. And what I would also advise is to not take lightly any intuitive gut instinct to follow something, whether it's like, oh, when when they mentioned, you know, so-and-so grandpa or so-and-so great-great-uncle, something happened in me. There was an internal physical response. Huh. And not take that lightly. So truly listen in to where there is a, um, a gut instinct and follow it. Stay for as long as you need with a particular person until something or someone else begins to kind of call to you. That a lot of it, I mean, truly is 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 holding us as something that is really, really spiritual. Connecting to beings, to stories, and allowing yourself to tune into that. Yes, that intuitive connection to these stories, to these people. Mm-hmm. A lot of self-compassion. Yeah. A lot of compassion. On that point, was there some situations where you noticed yourself get a feeling of backing down or wanting to curl up? And just be with the feelings, sadness, guilt, grief. What was that like? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. It, it felt like moments when I wanted to throw the computer against the wall, when I wanted to scream, when I wanted to wail, when I didn't want to be holding all of this by myself. There were many moments when I thought, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What is this for? And um, because in the moment, things weren't seemingly working out. Things weren't seemingly making sense. And so there were plenty of moments that I wanted. Oh, yeah, I, what, what is all this for anyway? I would go to that kind of, you know, that doubt. What is this for anyway? You know, what am I really doing? How is this really going to help? Um, and I just kept going. And then honestly, another thing is being in community. Knowing that there are other people who are doing 
this work. And there are a lot of people who want to be doing this. It's truly such a privilege to be able to collect these stories. You mentioned self-compassion being crucial as well at those moments. What what did that look like for you? What kinds of practices or tools did you tap into or find on your way? Well, I'm, I feel, and I remember thinking this so many times, like, wow, I've been training for this all my life because I have this extensive morning routine that I've had for years. That is my non-negotiable. It is what I live for. And so I had these structures set up that held me so well where I was able to be by myself and process, which I process through writing, really creating the space to be with, with the thoughts, to be with the feelings. There is something so much bigger that is needing to be healed. And so these seemingly like I moments of, of challenge, of difficulty, it's like, okay, I can get through this because, there, you know, I have this space, I have my time, I have my um, practices, and, and I have experience. And I really believe in healing. I really believe that in order for there to be new systems, there has to be a new mind, heart, body. And I first need to understand, like, what is the mind, heart, body now? How did they get formed? What were the stories? What were the narratives? And what was the harm? Let's heal that. Let's atone to that. And then all the while... Let's regenerate. Let's recreate. Where do you see us creating? What does the creation look like to you? Well, the creation to me looks like telling these stories, telling these origin stories, telling the three-dimensional whole story. And continuing to tell the story over and over and over and continuing to get pieces that are missing, hear voices that we haven't heard yet from the stories. What I believe is that we've been trained into thinking that we're different, that we should be in competition and at odds and in suspicion and fear And so part of this for me is remembering who we are. Remembering that we are of each other. And however that makes sense for the words that people use, whether it's interconnected, whether we all come from... um, the same origin, which dates back to what is now the land of Africa, um, whether it's we, you know, really are from the Big Bang, the star, we are each other. And this big lie has 
truly harmed us all. So the silence that you mentioned about that's been so encouraged in our society, not feeling like having the tools to explain that piece of your dream. We'll work through that. And then again, that feeling of being choked up. Can I say this? It's in the room when you were on the tour with Mr. Leon Blotters. And now sharing all of these stories that you've continually been working in community with sharing with these groups and here in the space today. And how that shift of unearthing, bringing, like you said, daylighting, bringing light to what is. It's, yeah. And it, it speaks to me feeling more whole. Because in other areas of my life, I definitely... Um, practice the silence I mean because that was the 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 water that I was swimming in and and when I broaden it out I see in other areas of my life I'm like no I'm just I'm not gonna talk about that well I'm not gonna talk about that and I see how harmful that is I felt it in the archives and there's different moments you know when um, I'm with white folks who don't want to learn, who don't want to hear about the legacy of whiteness and privilege and power and oppression and hierarchy. I'm confronted again with this really heavy legacy of we don't talk about that. And luckily I've been with myself enough with these stories that I know it to be true. I know it to be healing for me. And the healing is going to look different in different environments. I'm going to be at different phases of healing in my journey. And so what I share is going to sound different, is going to come across, is going to land differently. So it's, again, I mean, these are stories. So they're always evolving. And the listener is so much a part of the storytelling process that it's very active. It's very alive. One more question for you. How has this time you've taken, has it changed your family? Has it affected your family? It's like, it's so deep. It's so deep. Because when I think about atonement, when I think about reparations, I want to be in this process with my family. I really, truly do. And I want it to be from a place of understanding, not from a place of shame and guilt. And so the conversations um, are happening and, uh, and yes, it's, um, they're still in process. They're still definitely in process. My family's very supportive. And the one who's been very much involved in the whole process has been my mom. Yeah. 
So it's still like, you know, I'm hesitant. Like I'm, I, I don't have much to say because that part hasn't solidified yet in how we are going to begin to incorporate this truth into our family, our nuclear family. That's, that's dot, dot, dot. Will <laughs> <laughs> be continued. Sure is. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But I so appreciate all the work you're doing and have been doing and sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited about where it takes you and where it takes us collectively. Oh, me too, Ellery. Thank you. All, all the groups that you're part of, the powerful, powerful unearthing that is being done in conversations. It's remarkable. There's a lot of people out there that are really in this journey for for healing, for repair, for um personal healing and collective healing yeah i'm excited to see where it takes us me too so thank you thank you yeah until next time (laughs) see you soon